I'm hacker, CISO, author, public speaker, what she chose to wear, to how she talked, to what she talked about. Everything was, I'm a hacker here talking to all these execs. I do have a platform in the cybersecurity community. I can't deny that, right? I mean, that that's the reality of it. What is that position to me? Uh, it's PowerPoint and Excel all day long, every day. No, I'm kidding. Hi everyone, welcome back to Cybersecurity Standup. I'm your host, Bronwyn Hudson, and today I am joined by quite an illustrious guest. You've probably heard of her on Twitter and LinkedIn. We have Alyssa Miller with us here today. Alyssa, you've also just been recognized as a finalist for the SANS uh, Lifetime Achievement Award. Kind of a big deal. How are you? How are you feeling? I am doing okay. Uh, yeah, I got uh, some notice about uh, being nominated and then a finalist for a SANS Award, so that's... That's pretty cool stuff. Um, I mean, it's so amazing. Yeah. Um, in case people haven't heard of you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself um, and maybe what you're doing now in cybersecurity? Sure. So Alyssa Miller, I'm hacker, CISO, author, public speaker. Um, I don't know. I, <laughs> there's, I wear a lot of identities apparently. So yeah, take, uh -huh. take your pick, but it's, it's that hacker one. I think that kind of is, is the, the core of who I am. So, uh-huh. Love it. And did you, you know, I wanted to know about how you, how you built a career basically, because I feel like no hacker and no CISO has like a, a clear trajectory. Like they didn't like start out in computer science and just like went into it. What was your, what was your journey? Uh, like? A lot of crazy, happy accidents. Um, you know, Love I, mean, it. I was, I mean, I was a hacker as a little, little, little kid. Right. I mean, I, well, first of all, I was that kid that took all my stuff apart, you know, toys, parents, electronics, you know, they loved that by the way. Um, uh -huh, sure. That, that was really popular at home. Take apart the brand new VCR. That worked out really well. Um, actually worked out just fine because it worked when I was done. I put it all back together. There were maybe a few extra screws, but you know, that unimportant stuff. Um, not needed. No. So when I was 12, I got a job uh, as a paper carrier and I, um, you know, I, I saved up a bunch of money and bought myself my first computer. So this is, you know, late eighties. People didn't typically have PCs in their own home. A, a 12 year old kid buying her own computer was pretty unheard of. Not completely, but it wasn't very common. Um, you know, I, I got into programming. I got into, that's where I got into hacking initially. So, um, and then as a teen, I kind of, you know, the, the internet became a thing. And I found my way into the, the IRC chat rooms with a lot of other hackers. Uh, you know, I was okay. a, one of those bullied kids in high school. I didn't have a ton of friends, but the people I found in the hacker communities online were like, Them's my peeps. Um, but, uh, you know, I, at that point, it, it still wasn't anything that I thought was going to be a profession. Um, it was a hobby uh -huh. to me. In fact, I started in college in a pre-med major. Um, okay. And it was only after three semesters of, semesters of college-level chemistry that I figured out, yeah, Med school ain't for me. I did. This isn't going to work. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> and that's when, I mean, honestly, because by that point I've been 
programming for years, it was like, oh, hey, computer science. Well, that would be an okay major to switch to. It'll be easy. <laughs> yeah. And then? And then. Uh-huh. Uh, so, you know, so I, I got into that program. Well, this was like dot-com era, right? So okay. at this point now, everybody is hiring programmers wherever they can find them because everybody yeah. had to have a website and you had to be doing e-commerce and all the buzzwords that went with all of that. Yeah. And so I ended up getting a job as a programmer, uh, you know, while I was still in college, um, 19 years old, I started, I got my first salary job at 19 as a, Dang. As a programmer. Um, and then, yeah, it kind of snowballed from there. So I worked in that organization. It was a financial services company. I worked for them for nine years when a, uh, a manager from the cybersecurity team came and they call it info security back then. Right. Okay. Still yeah. do a lot of and, and she came to me and she asked if I wanted to join her security test team. Cool. I, I don't know how to do that. She, oh, you, you'll figure it out. You're smart. That's why I asked you. I remember that really clearly, like to this day. That's that that phrase totally. that came out of her mouth. It, and yeah, I mean, lo and behold, I got in. I'm like, oh hell, this is what I've been doing for years. This was my hobby. Now I I, I can do this as a job. You know, and then it's and it's just kind of rolled from there. So I, you know, I I did. I was at that company 15 years. I did a couple stints with a couple different consulting firms because I decided after seeing financial services, I wanted to see what everybody else was doing. Um, yeah. Which, of course, half of them promptly put me with financial services customers. But anyway, um, I worked for a vendor for a while. I worked for a reseller for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. And then through a colleague, I found a position as a BSO, a business information security officer, uh-huh. And did that job, figured that was, figured that job was kind of going to be like my, my last step before CISO, right? And I mean, CISO for me was one of those things that was out there that I wanted to tackle. Okay, cool. I was going to yeah. ask. Oh, it was, it, that was kind of like, and I think for a lot of people in security, it kind of yeah. sits up there. That's like where they want to get to someday. Not everybody, cool. not everybody really wants to be that in management or that high level in management. And that's totally probably wiser decision. Um <laughs> Um, but no, so I, I got into that role. I was only there a year and a half when another colleague reached out to me and, and told me he was vacating his CISO role at this org. He'd gotten a better, or a, a higher profile, whatever. I don't know, whatever. He was moving on and, you know, said, hey, if you're interested in being a part of the search, here's where you, you know, email them here, you know, give them your resume, that sort of stuff. And so, yeah, 18 months into being a BSO, I got my role as what I am now, which is wow. CISO. That's fast. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, the thing was, though, like, you know, even in the consulting world, I had done a lot of work with executive level sponsors and such. Um, you know, yeah. I was presenting to boards on, you know, our readouts and stuff and, and actually coaching some of these CISOs on how to talk to their boards. Yeah. So, you know, so from that perspective, I mean, I was I was prepped. Um, you know, if, if I think about it that way, but yeah, I mean, still to, to jump 18 months from one job to the next is, you know, not always the, the greatest thing, but sometimes too, you just gotta, it things, pre- yeah. when, you know, those opportunities present themselves, you just got to grab them and go. I have so many questions off the back of that, but I think I have to start with, 
before we move on into like what it's like to be a CISO, how you're enjoying that role, that kind of stuff, when you look back on your career, is there anything you would say to yourself or anything you would do differently? And I ask that not only because I want to hear about like how your journey has been, but also for folks who are trying to enter the industry right now, people who are just learning about cyber and they, they want to get into it, like how, you know, any advice for those people, any advice for your younger self? Um, so honestly, and this is, I know this is not the greatest answer, but I wouldn't want to change anything. Because I've landed where I am, and I'm happy with what I'm doing. And I've done a lot of really, really, really cool stuff. Um, I mean, if there was anything I would say, maybe just embracing who I am authentically as a human would be probably the, the one thing that I would say, you know, learning to do that sooner. Because my career definitely accelerated the minute I did that. Um, for instance, yeah. like I, I hid for years the fact that I was a hacker. Right. I mean, the fact that I broke yeah. into Prodigy as a kid. Okay. You know, I mean, that was this dial up service and long story short, but as a 12 year old, when I bought the computer, that was my first real hack, right? Was breaking wow. into Prodigy and not having to pay for it. Um, after I used the 25 hours that you got for free when they send you the disc. But, Love um, it. but yeah, so I mean, it was, you know, I, I always thought like, well, if I want to get into high levels of management, I can't talk about that. And I think, you know, it wasn't until I learned to actually embrace that and learn to embrace some other of the weirdness that makes me me that suddenly, you know, my career just took off. Um, I wasn't Uh doing badly. Again, I was having, you know, great success, but man, did it move fast after I just said, you know, enough's enough. This is who I am. I'm going to run with it. You also, when was that? What what point was that in your career when you kind of like made that change for yourself? So honestly, it was, I think where it really hit was when I went to work for uh, the reseller. So it was CDW. Okay, cool. Name names, who cares? It's all my LinkedIn anyway, if you want to know. There you go. So yeah, I went to work at CDW and one of the things that they did was they did uh, these events, they call it their Protect Summit. Right. And so it mm-hmm. was basically like their own like mini conference that they did targeting execs that were, you know, their customers. So they would fly in like, like 250 execs from their different customers and have Dang. a two day uh-huh. cybersecurity conference. And I was asked to keynote one of those. And, uh-huh. you know, so it was, it was like a, it was dual opening keynote. So we had, a guest speaker for 30 minutes and then me for 30 minutes. And that was how we kicked off the event. Well, that guest speaker turned out to be one of my, I hate to say the word hero. I I don't want to, that, cause that the hero worship in InfoSec is pretty awful, but I'll call, I'll I'll use that term for lack of a better. It was Karen Elizari. Okay. And Karen Elizari is no apologies whatsoever, a, a freaking hacker, right? And that's that's her, that's who she is, just like that's who I am. She gets up there and and you know was who she is. I mean, you know, from what she chose to wear to how she talked to what she talked about, everything was. I'm a hacker here talking to all these execs, and I'm looking around the room, and the execs are eating this up, and I'm like, wow, oh. It can be like this. Yeah. They actually dig this story. Like I actually talk about who I actually am and they actually think that's great and it's got value. And so, yeah, from that moment on, it was like, boom. And that's when, you know, I had been, I had spoken at conferences before plenty of times. Yeah. 
But it was then that all of a sudden I started changing my CFPs. I started changing what I wanted to talk about. And suddenly I'm getting speaking engagements left and right. You know, it completely blew up. And so my personal brand exploded. You know, I, I got a logo made and all sorts of other stuff. Yeah. Like it, it's just all this crazy stuff I never even imagined would be a, a, a part of my world. All of a sudden yeah. I was there. That's so amazing. And I mean, like, was has that felt like relative fame? I mean, you're because you're really popular on LinkedIn and Twitter. You're really well known. Like, how does that affect you? It's weird. So, because yeah. I'll have people call me a celebrity. I'm like, and then I remind them. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. They're like, but you have 80,000 followers on Twitter. Yeah, but hold on a minute here. There's, according to last numbers I saw from ISC Squared, which are a few years old, there are like two and a half million cybersecurity people in the world, right? Like, right. those 80,000, that's not a very big percentage. And 2.5 million in cybersecurity, that's like a fraction of a percentage of the worldwide population, not really. True. I do have a platform in the cybersecurity community. I can't deny that, right? I mean, that that's the reality of it. Somehow or another, I stumbled into 80,000 some odd followers. I've got, you know, big numbers on the other ones too. Like, you know, I just was in Mastodon yeah. the other day and I don't know how I got into five, five figures there, but that happened. Incredible. Um, you know, LinkedIn and all the rest. And it's like, I never set out to do that. It just kind of happened. Uh -huh. So it's kind of weird to me that like, why are there so many people I give a crap what I have to say? Half of my stuff is about barbecue or my cats or now it's aviation. Like, you know, but yeah, people, I mean, I do talk about cybersecurity too. And apparently, you know, people like to hear about it. So I, I have to say though. I love that mix, though. I feel like that's also, I mean, I, I hear that answer and it, it kind of reminds me of maybe that moment that you had where you're like, oh, I'm going to be more of myself because I was going through your Twitter and I think you're hilarious. You recently posted about dino nuggets with like a, <laughs> this beautiful spread. That was so funny. That was amazing, though. <laughs> like, so, so, yeah, somebody posted a picture and they were picking on people who eat boneless wings, right? Yeah. There is apparently this war between people who like actual chicken wings and people who like boneless chicken wings and they pick up yeah. boneless chicken wings are just chicken nuggets. I kind of agree with that. But so somebody posted a picture of dinosaur chicken nuggets covered in you know buffalo sauce. And I'm like, yeah. that actually looks really good. So I'm gonna make this. Yeah. And then they're like, well, show pictures. So now I'm like, okay, how can I take this to its most ridiculous end, right? So yeah, glass of wine, you know, an expensive bottle of, of wine. And um, by expensive, I mean like $55 bottle of wine. So yeah, heck yeah. For some people that's expensive for wine connoisseurs. That's a cheap bottle. Fair point. You know, for yeah. me, that's... That's an expensive bottle of wine, you know? And then, yeah, did the whole thing, a you know, place setting, the whole nine yards, right? I'm just like, okay, let's make this look like the most bougie chicken nuggets you could ever think of. And yeah, I, why not? You know, that that's, and that's kind of the, yeah, I mean, that, there again, you're, you're, you're kind of right. Like that's me just being the complete dork that I am, <laughs> I, you know? And it's, and I, I, that's one thing that, I, I see a lot of it. It was just, it was actually just a conversation today on that same hell site. 
uh-huh. you know, imagine this. Maybe a lot of us don't post stuff to try to cater to followers or, you know, pigeonhole ourselves into, you know, the, I'm a cybersecurity person. Like, hell no. Totally. I, I'm, I'm not there for that. I'm, I'm on social yeah. media to have as much fun as I can because, well, it, it's kind of a disaster out there. Agreed. It is kind of a disaster, but I feel like people like you're making it a better place. Cause I mean, I'm a social media manager and I feel like a lot of the, what gets lost on social media is that we forget that it's social. We forget that it's experience about connecting with other humans. Of course, humor needs to be a part of that. Yeah. Yeah. We, we can't have human interaction on a social platform. <laughs> what are we doing? Yeah. And I hear that. Yeah. And it's, you know, honestly, I hope I can make it a little better. I hope we all can. Right. Like, I mean, yeah. I used to post and I still do from time to time. Uh, you know, kind of my hashtag was do better, be better. Oh, nice. And it's, uh-huh. you know, and the whole point of that was, you know, you can't be a better person if you don't try to be a better person. It doesn't happen so by true. accident. And all I want to be is a good person as much as I can be. And I want to always be trying to get better. And I've made huge mistakes. Like I've made massive mistakes in the public eye on Twitter where I had to issue apologies and everything else. But that's what I did. I issued an apology. Yeah. I said, hey, you know what? I screwed up. And, yep. you know, I... Even just that action, like, it would be so nice if people could just, hey, you know what? I said something. It was dumb. I shouldn't have said it. Or, hey, you know that argument I started with you, you know, when I was acting like Mr. Reply Guy, and now I was just proven wrong? Yeah, I'll just admit, hey, you know what? I was wrong. I I thought it was something else. But there's so Mm -hmm. much of, like, that, that constantly having to double down and defend yourself and, you know, oh, well, this is what I actually meant. Or technically I was right because this or that. Like, no, just. We don't have time for that. I was fucking wrong. Pardon my French. You totally. know? Like, just say it. Yeah. Just say you were wrong and move totally. on. Apologize if you said something to piss somebody off or to hurt someone's feelings. I mean, why is that? That's not a sign of weakness. In fact, honestly, it takes a hell of a lot more guts and a hell of a lot more strength to stand up in front of the entire Internet and say, you know what? I screwed up and I'm sorry. For sure. And take any kind of accountability after that as well. I completely agree with you. Yeah. Um, I want to uh, dig in a little to do better, be better. Sure. Because I feel like as as a CISO, I mean, you have – not only do you have like the social platforms, you have this, this awesome community that you've built, but also you're in a position where you can be liaising between security teams and execs and engineers and everything else. Um, what is, what is that position to you? Like not only sort of what's your day-to-day life like might, you know, maybe, but like, how do you bring yourself to that role? What is that position to me? Uh, it's PowerPoints and Excel <laughs> all day long, every day. No, I'm kidding. Uh-huh. Yeah, although it is a lot of it. I, mean, I can't deny it is a ton of PowerPoints, a ton of Excel, a ton of email, like all over the place. But you know, I mean, then my friends at that, the, the, the big multicolored flag in Redmond, uh, you know, do things that cause me headache or, you know, the like. And yeah, I get to actually dig into stuff like I did today. Like, how do I deal with people that are using chat messages to fish 
And, you know, I mean, so you, you do get to see that. But I think the, the key to it, if, if I really think about what a CISO role is, is more than anything else, my God, you just have got to be an educator. Because you are talking, I mean, I'm talking to business people every day. I'm talking to my CFO. I mean, you know, my CEO. I'm talking to the HR team. I'm talking to our, our director of compliance. You know, these are all people I'm interacting with every day. And not all of them eat, sleep, and breathe cybersecurity the way maybe some of us do. Right. My job is to bring all of that, you know, the stuff that is coming to me from my SOC and from my engineering teams and my IAM teams and whatnot and and distill that into something that's meaningful to them, help them, you yeah. know, and this is honestly, this is a this is something too we were just talking about on the socials the other day is, you know, understanding that if you're frustrated that your company isn't giving you enough money, isn't funding you, isn't taking you seriously, isn't listening, you have to do some introspection there as a cybersecurity professional and say, maybe I'm not educating them right. Maybe I'm not bringing a message that resonates with them in a way that's motivating them to do what I feel is right. And that that's a really tough pill for cybersecurity people to follow because we feel like yeah. we should just be able to stand up there, yell from the rooftops about all the risks and threats, and everybody should just listen. Right. That's not the way business works. And, yeah. you know, it's, I think the most successful cybersecurity people are the ones who understand and realize that and understand yeah. that, yeah, you can't just say, oh, you're having this problem with this type of spam, just buy this tool. Well, maybe that's not in the cards. Maybe you just bought a whole, you know, cybersecurity suite or you you bought a Microsoft E5 contract or something, and you're like, hey, I have all these tools already. I got to figure out how to fix it with what I've got, not go buy something new. Yeah. Or, you know, you you want to get your your development teams engaged in more AppSec practices. Well, how do you show them how that's valuable to them? Totally. If, if all it is is, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to reduce your risk, well... That's not very exciting. And by the way, yeah. in the reality of it, they kind of already accepted that risk by just doing what they're already doing. So right. telling them you're going to get rid of some risk doesn't really, surprisingly shocking, doesn't really motivate people to like want to do that thing. So maybe we got to be a little better about how we sell the value of what we do and sell it in business terms. Yeah. And I mean, to you, the things that come to mind for me as kind of a, a fly on the wall to this whole like organization, or, you know, the, the, the format we function in as well, I think of things like phrases around reduce risk, but I also think of saving costs and saving time. Is that really, what What else is there on that list of like how you incentivize? Okay, well, I'm glad you asked because I, I have my okay. three-step process, right? Uh, maybe, maybe you're familiar, you go to like these, um, you know, some of these home improvement centers. I won't brand name here, but, and they have, there's one in particular that has lots of big orange stuff, uh, hint, hint. And I'm familiar. the stuff they sell, a lot of the stuff, they'll have like three options. They have the good, better, best. So totally. this is, this is actually part of the coaching that I do for CISOs is like, all right, if I'm going to go into say my business unit, or I'm going to talk to my executive team, or maybe even the board, and I'm trying to justify, you know, some new technology, some new solution, some new initiative. Good is if I can go in there and show how it's going to save time or money, right? Like, that's cool. 
all right, great. If I can show them, hey, I can I can save you this effort. I can you know make this easier for you. Um, and then that translates in soft dollar terms to something else. Great. Okay, wonderful. Mm -hmm. Better is if I can, you know, show you how I can improve profitability, like right out, like, hey, you know, this service or something you're selling, we, we can augment that this way. And it, you know, we can gain some efficiency or do something that's going to, you know, increase your revenue in some fashion. Uh -huh. The best is if you can show them how it's going to create a new innovation or a new innovative solution that they can sell. So now you're creating a new revenue stream. And this is where security people get really skeptical of me because they think I'm nuts. And they're like, how, how, how does cybersecurity ever create revenue? Well, let me give you an example because I wouldn't come to this table empty-handed. No. Here's a perfect way. So here's one, and this is real deal. So you go out and you want to implement MFA, right? And say you bring in sure. like one of these IAM providers, take your pick, Okta or, you know, um, uh, Duo or any of these, right? And, and you know, you, you bring this in, you're now going to implement this thing. And say that you do logins, not just for your internal users, but you have external customer users that access applications and you want to MFA them too. So you're going to use it for that. Yeah. Well, maybe there's something right there that you could already leverage. Maybe not, but maybe that's like a, a feature set you could charge for. But now extend this and imagine you've got this really cool tool that, by the way, lets you integrate across multiple identity providers. So you're using your Active Directory internally. Chances are uh -huh. your customers probably have Active Directory as well. So totally. what if instead of them having to have separate user accounts on your system... You actually enabled that federation where now they can manage off of their existing Active Directory infrastructure and you can charge them for the extra feature set of account federation. There it is. That's a new revenue stream we hadn't thought of. Where did that wow. come from? 100% a cybersecurity solution. Totally. So now that, that's just one, right? I mean, I, and I've got actually a, a laundry list of these and I'm... I bet. don't have yeah. the time. I need to go through all of them. But that's the point. Like thinking that way, like how can I just yeah. tie this into something that's going to make us more profitable? It's going to open up some new capability, you know, that's going to create new innovation. And even if they didn't charge for that, so even if that didn't become new revenue, maybe it's yeah. something that makes them stand out in the marketplace. Yeah. It gives right. them a differentiator to point to. Like maybe none of our competitors offer that ability to, to, to do that. And wow, lo and behold, you've got something to work with there and you, you've created something business meaningful. Your CFO will get that. So, Your business yeah. execs will get that. The CEO is going to get that. So when, when you're coaching CISOs on this, like the, the three-step model kind of thing, do you see lots of their, their brains exploding or is this it, like, is it new information for them to try to, what's that like? How do they receive it? It's a mix. I get some who are like, uh -huh. you know, oh yeah, I've done that before. And then uh -huh. it just kind of clicks, right? I get some where it is like an aha moment, like, oh, yeah. wow. But then I also get the ones who are resistant. Who just are okay. so 
so locked into this idea of being, and this is a direct quote from a, a CISO, risk professionals. What? No. Professional blocker. That, that, yeah. That's, that's your CRO. They're the risk professional. Yeah. Yes, we all deal in risk, but every executive does, right? Yeah. And that's that's the thing that drives me nuts when we get locked into this idea of the language of business is risk. You know, I've heard that before mm. too. No, it's not. The language of business is money. We are there to make totally. Money. <laughs> and every single executive at that ELT table has to deal with risk reduction. We are not exclusive yeah. in that. Your CFO, they are out there trying to reduce financial risks. Your CLO, your legal right. officer, they're trying to reduce your legal risks and exposures. Your uh, marketing, they're trying to reduce market risk. How do we find differentiators and such? Ask anybody at that table about the risks that they're worried about, and they will all have risks that are specific to their title. Now, they might also say oh, cybersecurity and other things. But they will have risks that have nothing to do with cybersecurity. So if our only yeah. value as cybersecurity people is we reduce risk, right? That that's not a big selling point. So when you're at those exec tables, it sounds like you're you're kind of maybe almost the pivot point in those conversations where you are understanding a lot of the other risks that people are dealing with. But do you also feel like they're understanding like where you're coming from in the cybersecurity and information security like realm? So yeah, I you know, I do think they understand. Now I'm in an organization where thankfully I have the benefit that there's a pretty strong culture of awareness around cybersecurity. But Again, that's kind of my job, though, as a CISO, regardless of what organization I'm in, is to educate them. And, right. you know, I, I this is, again, where I, some people get a little bit skeptical and they're like, well, I can't get them to listen to me. Did you listen to them first? Did you ask them about their risks? What are they interested in? Because it's really interesting how that works. That if like, you listen to someone else first, suddenly they're more willing to listen to you in return. Fancy that. And I, I don't think we do that enough as cybersecurity professionals. We want to walk, we get in a, a place at the table and, and we want to walk in there and talk, right? That's what right. we want to do. We want to talk about our thing. Well, having the place at the table, which, you know, is that, that, that boardroom table or that executive yeah. ELT table, whatever it is, like it's way more about listening than it is about mm -hmm. talking. And that's, yeah. that's a concept, I think, too, that a lot of, as CISOs are getting more and more opportunity, we're starting to figure that out, that like, oh, yeah. actually, the, the benefit of being here isn't just that I get a chance to talk. It's that, oh, I get a chance to listen to everything yeah. else that's going on in the organization, what's important to the organization. And if I'm a smart CISO, I take that information back to my team and say, how do we align our cybersecurity program to all of these priorities and things that I'm learning about in these ELT discussions? You can drop that mic. That's, I think a lot of people maybe need to hear that. I want to also like change gears a tiny bit, same vibe, but I want to get your thoughts on, on cybersecurity awareness month because October sort of rolls around and we see all of this content kind of like explode out of the industry, but I, I don't feel like we're nailing it. What do, what do you think's happening? Quite honestly, I think cybersecurity awareness month is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm here. I'm here to hear that. What in the hell are we doing for the other 11 months? 
Right. I know. <laughs> and this is the thing, like, you know, awareness is more than just, you know, CBT. Whoa, there's a, there's a retro term. <laughs> CBT. It's like therapy, cognitive behavioral. Oh my god. Oh god. Uh, well, well, there you go. I hadn't even thought of that one. That's even better. But no, I mean, it, it you know, it it's more than just training, right? And that, and it's more than just like quarterly or monthly or however often you do them, you know, fishing tests. Yeah. What are you doing every single day? Right. Yeah. And how do you use those things every single day? How do you how do you continue to build awareness? How do you integrate with your business units? And if we're we're gonna sit here, I mean, I get the idea behind let's have a month to focus on it. You know, we have a month to focus on pride, we have a month to focus on black history, all of these things, and great. But even there with those, shouldn't we be focused on that all the time too? Like totally. those are important topics that shouldn't just be relegated to a month. And there's a month for everything. I mean, it, it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. It's totally. apparently LGBTQ uh, history, history month or something. Month. Um, yeah. You know, there's there's all these things, and I and I like that we we take a time to make a concerted effort. But at the end of the day, I've, God, we we need to be talking about this all the time. It, it yeah. needs to always be our focus. Again, back to that, as cybersecurity professionals, we're educators. Yeah. Teachers don't just get to say, hey, for this month, I'm going to teach. Totally. And then I'm done. They teach for nine months of the year. Some teach all 12 months of the year. So, I mean, if there was some way that you could, you know, magic fairy dust, wave a wand and have one piece of information, though, like really sink in for all 12 months of the year. Now, now we all are like on the same page when it comes to cybersecurity awareness. Is there some piece of information that you think would be a priority? Skepticism isn't paranoia. Oh, love it. I, I think, you know, if there's one thing I want and then we all want from our users is a healthy dose of skepticism and actually nice. being like willing to to express that skepticism. Right. I mean, you think about phishing, you think about, you know, how we craft emails, how we you know build passwords, all this stuff. There's so much that we look at today around phishing campaigns and everything else, where it's like people just, they, they wanna be nice and they, they don't wanna be the one that's the skeptic and asks a potentially offending question to ask someone to verify right. something or whatever. Like, just be skeptical. Be skeptical, it's okay to be skeptical. Even when you're super busy, you know what? There's nothing so critical that anybody is going to scream and holler at you because you went back to verify it was valid before you yeah. did something. I mean, that's like saying, yep. hey, I'm going to run the SQL query that's going to update 2 million rows. Could somebody else verify this and make sure that before I press the button that this is going to do what I think it should do? Like, right. yeah, maybe that's a good idea. Um, <laughs> same thing. Hey, you know, I got this email from this vendor said we should change where we're sending payments. Can you just look at this quick and make sure that this seems right? Or call the vendor themselves. Hey, I got this email from you said we should change our account. Can you just confirm that this information I got is right? That type of skepticism is healthy and it's good. Yeah. And it's good practice, not just from a cybersecurity perspective, from a business perspective, from an IT perspective. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if, that is, if there was any one message, please embrace that skepticism. If you feel even the slightest tinge of this, 
this is a little different than I'm used to. This is a little off. Just ask. Just ask somebody, anybody. That's great advice. I think, you know, I, I, I've talked to quite a few CISOs now, and I think you're all really good at human psychology because I think that you're, like, you're tapping into something there, right? That like as humans, we actually do want to trust each other. We want it to all be like really easy and that everyone's telling the truth all the time. And, and But it's like absolutely not the case. And I, I feel like that is a completely at odds with the skepticism is a healthy thing to have. So um yeah, I, I like that a lot. And it's not that we're that smart. It's what that's what they all tell us. <laughs> I mean, honestly, <laughs> there's been a lot of studies on this, right? Of, of why sure. why do why do social manipulations work? And you know, and therefore social engineering. Why is it a thing? Because yes, they all of this plays off of you know those key facets of wanting to be helpful, you know, not wanting to hold things up, which you know, in security, we try to not hold things up. Um, you know, don't be the delay, be the, you know, I help people out that it's so much of it is just predicated on that one human instinct. Yeah. And yeah, it, it's hard to look at, uh, you know, a critical request, especially when it's coming from your, your CEO. Cause Ooh, here's a, here's a chance to not only help somebody out, but the, the, the big dog in the company, I can help them out. And, and, right. and, and I can, you know, look good in front of her and, and show her that, hey, I, you know, I was able to help her. And so you want to do that. And yeah, maybe some of it's a little selfish. Some of it is definitely not selfish. Doesn't matter. The fact is that's what that pretext is what so many social engineering campaigns are playing off of. Are relying on totally. That's so true. Um, off the back of that, I wanted to get your thoughts on... So I feel like there's this big uh, schism in cybersecurity at large, but also sort of in InfoSec at large, really, between non-technical and technical folks. And the reason I asked about that is because the CISO role actually really seems to be one that bridges that gap. Like you you seem to understand this human psychology and the business language, that's kind of stuff, but you also, you know, you're a hacker, like you come up in in, in doing the thing. Um, do, I mean, does that does that strike a chord with you at all that mm -hmm. there's, there's this schism, but we need to mend it? Oh, yeah. and, and how can we mend it? And ask your GRC folks how often oh, they get okay. abused yeah, by yeah. security people who are like oh that's just grc right governance risk and compliance is super important and honestly totally. i think probably the team that i work with most closely in my entire organization aside from of course my own is the compliance team it, they're you know they are so part and parcel to what we do they provide so yeah. much of that visibility because they too have to translate business context into other requirements and so forth. So they have to understand that and they help us mm -hmm. and we help them. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of that. And yeah, as a yeah. CISO, I mean, and this is why I say, you know, that level of management is not for everybody. And yeah. I, I think, you know, I, I honestly would like to see a better awareness of that isn't the end goal for everybody. Not everybody uh -huh. should have CISO as their end goal because you're going to get there and you're going to find out you don't like it. You're probably not even going to yeah. get that far before you find out you really don't like that that style of management. And that's okay. Right. Like, you know, I've got plenty of people on my team who are like, they don't want to do that, right? Mm -hmm. They're happy uh -huh. being knees deep in KQL and, you know, digging through our SIM or they're happy just, you know, 
digging through and configuring, you know, IAM processes and tools and things, right? I mean, like, whatever it is, they want to do that architecture work. They want to be in the weeds. Me? I mean, if you asked me to write KQL to go pull some stuff out of Sentinel, I'd probably get there eventually. I mean, I, I, know, I know KQL, but I don't know where anything is in Sentinel. I don't know what I'm looking for, right? If you asked me to, to go log into Okta and, and configure something or ask me to, to go into Active Directory and set up conditional access, <laughs> I mean, I'm going to be sitting there on Google yeah. for days reading how to do what I would need to do. Could I figure it out? Of course. I mean, you know, that's my background. It is a technical background, but that's, that's not my job anymore. Yeah. Right. And I need to be able to understand it enough that my super duper, incredibly smart people who do all that work can explain it to me. And I'm not sitting there dumbfounded, but at the same time, I need to be able to translate what they just told me to, terms that are going to matter to my CEO, to my CIO, you know, does this resonate with them? That is what I'm worried about. So yeah, Yeah. you know, the non-technical side, I I do feel like, and, and CISOs aren't alone in that. I just mentioned the CIO, same story, right? Like, I mean, does the CIO need to be able to log into a SAN and configure storage? No, but they need to damn well know what those words I just used mean. You know, like, and, and they need to understand why, you know, one particular solution might be better than another. Um, you know, they, they, if you're in a cloud environment, they probably should understand the various forms of compute and storage and whatnot that are at play in that environment. But you don't need to be able to go in and configure it and optimize it and all the other things. No, that's, that's not for them. In fact, I mean, as a CISO, I love the fact that I don't have access to like our our you know admin tools for our tenants and things. Like, I don't need any of that, and I tell my team that. Yeah, please, right. Please don't give me that access. Yeah. I could only break something. If you put me in there, I'm going to screw something up. Give me read access so I can go look at the pretty dashboards, or I can run reports on things when I do want to dig. But God, don't yeah. give me the access to update anything. <laughs> That's really funny. Um, I, I, I want to ask you too, because you, you present as such a positive person. I like you, you got that like hacker humor flair, but one of the things that I hear about the, the CISO role is that it's really tough on your mental health. You're always in the hook for like really high stakes stuff. It's a really intimidating role. How do you, do you feel that way? How do you protect your mental health? Were you just reading my Twitter a little while ago? Cause I feel like that's what this is. Only a tiny bit. (laughs) No, this, this is legit, right? So the stress levels for CISOs have been well documented. Um, there's a lot of studies and surveys out there on this. Uh, one in particular, I remember reading one of the more credible ones that was really a, a very scientific, uh, I think it was a survey study, I don't remember exactly. The levels of substance abuse and dependency among CISOs is higher than, like, like we're talking orders of magnitude higher than any other executive. And I'm not sure totally why that is. And they've got all the theories and stuff, but that that is the reality. And so the tweet I'm talking about uh, that I just put out there today was I, I made a comment about I'm starting to understand, you know, now a year and a half into my first CISO role, how that happens or why that happens or why those numbers exist. Now, thankfully, 
I have found different coping mechanisms, and I think that's the key. Um, you have to have something. Some coping me mechanisms are healthy, others are not. But there is a lot of pressure on the CISO, and there's a lot of pressure on the CISO to control things that we really can't control, right? If I'm a CIO, yeah, I'm on the hook for the stability of the systems, right? Every, the, the stuff has to work. And I'm probably getting conflicting pushes because I'm being pushed to cut costs at the same time. But at the end of the day, that's all stuff that's kind of under the control of me and my team. I can, you know, mm -hmm. we got to have good processes in place so we don't make silly mistakes. We got to, you know, whatever. And, and it's largely stuff that I can control and there's tried and true mechanisms. Yeah, the technology is changing and I got to keep up with that. But, you know, at the end of the day, it, it's all in our control. Cybersecurity isn't that way. And I don't, I can't think of another, maybe like risk, maybe, um, yeah, you could argue, I guess there's some facets, but I don't feel like there's any other executive where it is just so inherent to the job that your job is to constantly predict the unexpected, so predict the unpredictable, react and respond to that unpredictable thing that you're guessing is the thing and be able to do that with a bazillion different technologies that change every day and teams that can never possibly have solid expertise across all of that and still at the end of the day know that you could get screwed over by one you know supplier one piece of software that you guys bought from somewhere where they did something wrong and an attacker was able to use that piece of software to attack your organization. And oh, by the way, as security folks, we're kind of making this shit all up as we go because the, you know, yeah, we have best practices and frameworks and whatever, but it's always new and it's always different. And at the end of the day, when something does go bad, we get blamed and we get totally. blamed in ways that I don't think I think the CISO does get looked at a little differently than maybe some of the other execs. And, and I think that all comes out in why does, you know, why is CISO tenure so much shorter on average than any other executive? Because we burn the hell out and we get scapegoated, which comes back and, you know, <laughs> contributes to the burnout and that becomes a vicious cycle. So yeah, there is a lot of that and there's no answer, good answer to it. I, at least not that I know of yet. Um, so I think it becomes incumbent on ourselves. We just have to kind of set our boundaries, find those outlets for, you know, how do, how do I get out of this? If I'm in a stressful day, what do I do at the end of the day to decompress from that? How do I find time when I've got 15 crises going on across, you know, my organization at the same time? How do I find time to break away for an hour and maybe just find a quiet room and chill out? I have a lot of empathy for for the role, honestly, because I feel like that's hard enough to do as like a, a non-CISO person in cybersecurity or really probably just anyone working any job ever. It's really hard to have strong boundaries and especially to like enforce them when it's just, you know, you working at home in your office and you're like, everything is on fire all of the time. It's a really hard thing to do. So yeah, I have, I have a, an immense amount of empathy for, for folks in the CISO role in that way. It seems really tough. <laughs> 
Everything is on fire all the time. <laughs> That's how it seems. <laughs> it seems awful. Um, okay, so we're coming up to our time today. Um, so I have one uh, question to, to sort of like dismount uh, here. And it's kind of a, a, a goofy one. Uh, so if you could have one superpower, any superpower you wanted to help with your CISO leadership, with your cybersecurity skills, what would that be? See, you put the qualifier on there that it had to help with that role. Otherwise, I know what my superpower is. Okay. But, um, no, now, now we're totally going back to that question. Now I just want to know what superpower you would have if you could have anyone. Well, Who cares about me? I always said, if, if I could have any single superpower, it would be telekinesis. Heck yeah. I mean, how could it not be? Be able to control shit with my mind and move it all around, which I also feel the need to stress that that's what telekinesis is. <laughs> yeah. I, I said that to somebody once and it was the same question and I said telekinesis and they thought I meant like telepathy telepathy and I'm yeah like, and they're like well why would you want that because like, I could use it for so much good they're like for good that just sounds like it would be creepy I'm like how is that cre I mean I guess maybe I misunderstand yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> so no I mean so yeah in general in the world like if I had the powers of telekinesis I'd be oh man there's so much I could do I don't know if it would help me so much in the cybersecurity space, though. So from a cybersecurity yeah, perspective, maybe there I would want the, you know, mental telepathy to be able to telepathy, you know, right. read the minds of all these attackers who are coming after me. That might help. Or just be able to see the future. That'd be great. Oh, yep. You yeah. know, I mean, stop time. That would be another one. I mean, I can think of a few that might be good options. Right? I yeah. Any one of these would be super helpful. Just so <laughs> I love it. Okay. Amazing. I've really enjoyed speaking with you and, um, I really want to be able to like support you in, in this journey as a CISO. It's really, really cool. Um, if people want to find you and connect with you, where can they find you on the internet? <sighs> That's such a tough question. I am still reluctantly on Twitter. Heard, um, yeah. So I'm there until I can get all my herd and by herd, I mean my huge hacker family that I love so much and I want to interact with on a daily basis to universally accept some other platform. Um, so I am there still. I am also on Mastodon, so infosec.exchange. I am also on Blue Sky. And if you need an invite, let me know. Um, but all three of them, same, same handle. It's at Alyssa M underscore infosec. It's the lamest handle in the world. I came up with it's it years ago, and I just I now I'm stuck with it because that's what everybody knows me as. So yeah, that's that's how it happens. I I don't think I'm alone in that either. Definitely not. Yeah, perfect. So yeah, those are the best. I will say, don't bother with LinkedIn. I mean, you can follow me, connect to me on LinkedIn. And we can you know exchange on posts, but LinkedIn DMs are a useless cesspool at this point. Thank you for that. Yeah. Owners of LinkedIn who shall remain nameless. Okay, wonderful. Um, well, thank you so much for your time. It's been a complete pleasure talking to you and we will see you out in cyberspace. Sounds great. Thank you.